Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Now, the last three keynotes we've focused on key subjects of love, joy, and peace. And this morning, we're going to consider grace. Now, as with these other subjects, we know, we know about the love of God. But the question is whether we are living fully in the revelation of that love. The same with the joy. We know that we are to rejoice always, but the key question is, do we rejoice always? Uh, We know about the peace of God. Do we live in that peace? This is what God is concerned about all the time, that we're living in the good of all that he has done for us. So we know about the grace of God, but the question is, are we living fully in the grace of God in the way that he intends? Now, the Old Testament is truth. But John, when he's opening his gospel, says that the law came with Moses But grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So although the Old Testament is truth, there was a greater revelation of truth that came with the ministry of Jesus and his teaching about the kingdom of God and all that he was later to accomplish for us on the cross and in the resurrection. The essential difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the revelation of grace. That we don't live under religious law, but we live in the grace of God. And we need to understand what that means. We know there's good grace teaching, there's extreme grace teaching, there's even wrong grace teaching. What we need is to keep right in the word of God and what it says to us about grace. So, John then talks about what it was like to live with Jesus. He gives a bit of testimony right in the, in the midst of all this revelation that Jesus is the truth and he's the light that comes into the darkness and so on. He he says, Jesus was full of grace and we all receive from him one act of grace after another. This is the truth version. The disciples' experience of Jesus was that because he was full of grace, they received just one act of grace after another. 
Now that's God's purpose for your life and for my life. That our faith is in the grace of God to such an extent that we believe that every day we will receive one act of grace after another. Now, grace is technically God giving everything to those who deserve nothing. So we all qualify for grace because none of us ever deserve anything from God. And this is the this is the thing that undermines the revelation of grace in the lives of many Christians. Because when they pray, they think that the answer to prayer will depend upon themselves and what is going on in their lives rather than in the grace of God. That's not faith. Because that's saying, I have to live up to a certain standard in order for God to answer my prayer. That is works. It's not faith. It's saying, if my works are good enough, then God will answer my prayer. So that's got nothing to do with grace. Grace is God giving, God doing, when we deserve nothing. You can never earn grace. You can never deserve grace. So if you're trying to earn favor with God, you better stop it quickly. If you think that in some way you've got to get to some standard where you then deserve God to answer your prayer, then you are living in deception because that's not the truth. Everything but everything that God does in your life is a work of grace. Everything. He never does anything that is not the work of grace in our lives. His mercy and his grace. Mercy is God dealing with all the negatives. Grace is God giving us all the positives, basically. So, <clears throat> Jesus is full of grace, and he wants us to be living in the good of that. It says in Acts chapter 4, So great was God's grace on the whole body of believers that nobody among them was left in need. I'll read that again. Because, you see, if there's ever need, the answer is in the grace of God. Amen? They were living so fully in the grace of God that none of them ever had a need. I'll just read it once more. So great was God's grace on the whole body of believers, not just on a few believers or on the leaders or on the disciples, the apostles, but on the whole body of believers. So great was God's grace on the whole body of believers that nobody among them was left in need. Now, if that was the case then, it probably indicates that we need to depend more fully on the grace of God than we do now. Faith is essentially faith in God's grace. 
faith in his love, but how does he express his love? First in his mercy, in the way he forgives us and makes us acceptable in his sight, and then in his grace by all that he gives to us. So God has already lavished his grace upon you. He gave you new birth. That was a work of his grace. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was a work of his grace. He has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That is a work of his grace. He has put you into Christ. That's a work of his grace. Christ lives in you. That's a work of his grace. Can you see? He does the work. When grace is evident, he does the work. We don't. We're, we're the recipients of what he does. So grace is essentially what God does. Now, you hear me talk often about position and performance. Now, we have this position, as God was talking to us the other day, in the spacious place. God's just been speaking to me all week long about the spacious place. Wonderful revelation of truth. That spacious place is, of course, in Christ Jesus, living in heavenly places with him now. That is all the work of his grace. Now, this means that our performance, what we do, does not affect his grace. In other words, if we're not performing well, God doesn't say, I will withhold my grace from you. Hello? That's the way Christians tend to think. If I don't come up to scratch, God won't work. No, 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 no. That is a denial of God's mercy and grace. Our performance has got nothing to do with God's grace. Why do I say that? Because, as I'm repeatedly, re repeatedly reminding you, God hasn't got anything, Jesus hasn't got anything left to do. He's done it all. He's given it all. He has given you the fullness of his life, according to the scripture. That's the work of his grace. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That's the work of his grace. He has won for you on the cross, total forgiveness of all your sins. That's a work of his mercy and so of his grace. He has healed you by his stripes. That's a work of his grace. So faith is appropriating all that he has done by his grace. This is why Paul towards the end of his ministry, when he's writing to Philippians, says that he wants to take hold of everything for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. 
that God's grace is so immense, he says, I do not yet claim to have taken hold of all of it. But forgetting what lies behind, I'm pressing for what I'm pressing forward for what lies ahead. As far as Paul is concerned, what lies ahead is more and more and more of God's grace. That God's grace is so immense that even during the course of the fruitful ministry that he had, he knew he had not laid hold of all of that grace. So our faith is in the grace of God, which means in his desire to give to us. What's the point of praying if you don't believe that God wants to give to you? And it certainly isn't prayer if you're praying in such a way as to give the impression to God that he will only bless you if you come up to a certain standard of behavior. Now, we know that Jesus is our holiness. We have no holiness of our own. We are in him. He is our holiness. And his holiness covers our unholiness. Hello? You see, you can be conscious of your unholiness. God wants you to be conscious of his holiness. None of us, in the outworking of our lives, lives in perfect righteousness. But Jesus Christ is our righteousness, so the righteousness of Jesus covers our unrighteousness. So when God looks upon us in the spacious place, he doesn't see unholiness. And he doesn't see unrighteousness. He sees the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus in whom we live. That in him there can be no unholiness. In him there can be no unrighteousness. So in order to live in him, in order to actually be able to stand in the holy place, in the spacious place, in Christ Jesus, God had to deal with all the negatives, with all the failure, with all the sin in our lives, or it would not be possible for us to be in Christ, because you can't have anything or anyone imperfect in Christ. It's just a total nonsense to think that in Christ there could be anything imperfect. So God had to perfect us to make us perfect forever in order to put us into Christ. And what he wants us to understand is that he deals with us according to the holiness of Jesus, according to the righteousness of Jesus, according to the perfection of Jesus, which is why the scripture is so strong about not looking up at yourself. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what God does in your life does not depend upon your performance, but upon his grace, upon everything that he has already done. Amen? It's just part of our human makeup 
to think that there must be something that we can do to contribute towards our salvation. And actually, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do either in contributing to answered prayer. It's all the grace of God. Now, the prayers of the righteous avail much, but that's not those that have reached a certain standard of righteousness, but those who believe that they're living in the righteousness of Jesus. God does not answer your prayer according to your level of righteousness or holiness. He only answers your prayer according to his grace. On the basis of all that Jesus has done for us. So when we confess our sins, we know that our sins are forgiven because he's already dealt with sin on the cross. He wants us to have the same kind of faith when we're uh, facing needs, whether they're healing needs, needs of provision, or anything else, that actually God has accomplished everything. It isn't that he's left anything undone. The work of salvation, the work of the cross, is a perfect work. It is a complete work. Nothing can ever be added to the sacrifice of Jesus. The scriptures are so clear about that. This is why Paul was so, I mean, he, he was angry with the Judaizing uh, believers, the, the, the legalistic Jewish believers that followed him around, trying to say that the Gentiles would have to be circumcised and, and accept the law if they were to become part of the church. Paul was furious with this because he was saying, well, look, under the law, we never received the salvation that we have in Jesus. So why put that burden upon others? We're living in the grace of God. And these Gentiles that are coming out of their pagan religions into the kingdom of God are the works of his grace. Just as we who are coming out of law are the works of his grace. So every one of us is a work of his grace. So if I'm living by faith, I'm living by dependence upon his grace. When he's writing to the Romans, Paul says, so we can see clearly that God's promises are given to a people of faith. They will only be fulfilled by his grace, what he does in and through them. So <clears throat> all we have to do is to believe in his grace. Now, does it matter how we live in relationship to him? Of course it does. We know that the word of God shows us his will. But God does not, does not, does not judge us. He has actually delivered us from the judgment we deserve and has already taken all our punishment upon himself. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Now you see, somebody who looks at themselves and thinks God won't answer my prayer because of this and this and this and this that is going on in my life is actually condemning himself. He does not appreciate the full nature of God's forgiveness, 
the full nature of his acceptance in Christ Jesus. He doesn't understand the, the full truth of his position in Christ Jesus, in the spacious place, in the heavenly places where he now stands. Not just the first minute, although I trust you did the first minute this morning, but remember the first minute is true of every minute. You see, of every minute of your life, you in Christ are blameless, guiltless, innocent, righteous, holy, fulfilled in him. Because there can't be anything negative or less than that in him. So that's who you are in him. And what God wants, you see, is for us not to focus upon ourselves uh, in the natural, but upon who we are in him. And the more we do that, then the more of his life is reflected in our lives. We're already sanctified, we're already made holy, but God takes us through a process of transformation into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, how does that happen? Because of our behavior? No. It's because we live more and more fully in the grace of God. And living in the grace of God means that more of a Christ is reflected in our lives. So the more we depend upon his grace, the more we are transformed into his likeness. It's not through any effort of our own. It's all the work of his grace. Sometimes, you know, people can get frustrated or disappointed. But in fact, when, when that is the case, it's always because God knows we need to refocus. And we might have to go through a dark valley sometimes. We might have to go through testing times. But you always come out of the end of those times with a clearer focus on the grace of God. And you realize that it's only the grace of God that has delivered you, that has saved you out of whatever trauma or whatever experience that you've gone through. Sometimes you can lose that sense of the presence of God, but of course he is always there and you are still in him and he is still in you. That has not changed because it's got nothing to do with feelings. And the only way to actually encourage our faith and to build our faith is for God to take us through situations where we are absolutely devoid of any spiritual feeling. And you're sort of clinging on by your fingernails to the word of God, to the truth of God. Those are times of growth. We heard a testimony on Sunday from Suki and uh, how she had to hang on through a time of, uh, of great pain and, and distress, but how God brought her through. And she said to me after the service, she wouldn't have had it any other way. She's so glad of what God took her through <laughs> once it's over. Uh, but she could see the value, not, not of the pain and the suffering, but of how God met with her in all the pain and the suffering. That's his grace. Yes. 
That's his grace. And you see, in times like that, we come totally to the end of ourselves. Hello, you're breathing. And that's the best place to be because if self intrudes, it gets in the way of God's grace. You hear me say often, not I, but Christ. It's not, it's not a question of cooperation, Christ and me. No, no, no. It's not me, it's Christ. It's the life of Christ in me that he wants to reveal, that he wants, he wants the river of living water to flow out of me. That river of living water is him, it's not me. It's, it, it, it's him, it's not you. Amen? We have been crucified with Christ, so now we can be the children of his grace. So Paul says, through him, this is Romans 5, through him we now have peace with God and all the blessings of his grace are made available to us by means of our faith. Faith is essentially faith in God's grace. We stand daily in the flow of God's free gifts to us and we can rejoice that a greater revelation of his glory awaits us. This is our sure and certain hope. So praise God, we stand daily in the flow of his grace because we're in that spacious place. We can only be in that spacious place because of his grace. Hallelujah. And you see, he, he says a little later, God's grace is so much greater than our sin. The devil wants you to be sin conscious. God wants you to be grace conscious. I mean, if, if Jesus has washed away all of our sin, why focus on the sin? If we, if, we, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you're cleansed of all unrighteousness, you're restored to that place of innocence, of blamelessness, of perfection in Christ Jesus. That's the wonder of his love and grace. So you don't have to wait for a prayer time. You just have to praise God that he has forgiven you through his mercy and grace. You're not walking around carrying a burden of sin on your back. Amen? Amen. And you see, this, in, in some ways you might think this is the most difficult thing about the Christian life to actually believe it could be so simple, so easy to be forgiven so much. But you mess up big time, I mean really big time, and what can you do? Lord, forgive me, thank you that you have. It's as simple as that. Anything more than that is you. It's not the trust in his mercy and grace. And you see, this is faith, believing that the victory of Jesus over sin on the cross is just so thorough, so complete, all I can do is say, Lord, forgive me. And immediately he does. The only condition he says, I need to be merciful to others and forgive them. 
But if God is so merciful to me, then that's a good incentive to be merciful to others, isn't it? Hello? Are you breathing? You're very quiet. This is a, this is a joyful message. Because it's all about the grace of God, the victory that Jesus has won for us. So, later in Romans, in chapter 8, Paul says this. He did not protect his son from the necessary cost of giving his life for us all, because through his grace, he wanted to give us everything that belongs to Christ. Yes, what he has, we are to have. He died and was raised back to life and is now seated in glory at God's right hand, all for our benefit. His blood liberates us, his spirit enables us, and speaks on our behalf. It's all God. This is the point. It's all God. When's the harvest going to come? When we have reached a certain standard or when our faith is in the grace of God? When's the multiplication going to come? When's the abundance going to come? When we think we've reached a higher spiritual level or when the grace of God abounds because we trust in his grace. Hello. The devil loves to put Christians under false condemnation. He's the accuser of the brethren, and he's the deceiver of the brethren. So he accuses by saying, look at yourself, look at your failure, look at your thought life. Look at your desires. Look, look, look. The Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus. Look at what he has done. Look at what he has accomplished. Look at who you are in him. So you're either going to listen to the devil or you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Who knows it's not a good idea to listen to the devil? Because, you see, that brings you under false condemnation. You start condemning yourself because you haven't attained to a certain standard. You see, you can only attain to what God wants in your life by faith in his grace. I know that apostolically God demands of me things that perhaps he wouldn't demand of everybody here, but I know I'm totally, utterly powerless to live up to that. It has to be the work of his grace. And he's actually, in the last few weeks, he's been taking me through a process of showing me that there is absolutely nothing, nothing, zero about me that can ever earn anything from him. 
I know, I know it, the truth of it in my head, but he takes you through, you see, he takes you through uh, what is actually going on in your life. And he points out, now, is that you thinking that what you do is going to make a difference, or is it you trusting me to make a difference? Does anybody understand what I'm talking about this morning? You see, we can't make a difference. Only the grace of God working through us can change and transform things. Hallelujah. So we want to live by the grace of God, but we also want to teach others. Now, you know, to teach others to live by grace. I often quote these two verses from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and then 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, as you are well aware of the nature of the grace our Lord Jesus Christ has demonstrated. In heaven he was rich beyond measure, yet for your sakes he came to share the poverty of our humanity, so that now through that poverty you are able to share in his heavenly riches. Not you will in the future be able to share in his heavenly riches, but through his grace, you are able to share in his heavenly riches now. To take hold of everything for which he's taken hold of us. And then the complementary scripture you have up there before you. And he is able to make all grace abound to us. All grace, all grace, all grace abound to us. Abundant grace, lavish grace. Lavish is the way Paul, uh, Paul talks about, and, and John too. It's lavish. He is able to make all grace abound to us, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why will you abound in every good work? Because of your trust in his grace. Because it's his grace that has enabled you. Not because you are depending upon yourself and your giftings and abilities, but you're living in that dependence upon him. He is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's going to be release. The harvest, the multiplication, the abundance is, is about to be released. Just as soon as we get hold of this grace and understand it's all going to be the work of his grace. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off kingdom faith. Just get your eyes on Jesus and his grace. Amen. He's just been waiting, I think, for this. Now, God gives us I mean, all the gifts of the Spirit are works of his grace. Charis is grace. So, we now have different gifts according to the way God has appointed that his grace is to operate in our lives. So the grace of God, of all that he has accomplished for us in Jesus, is available to every one of us, to every believer. But there is specific grace that God pours into the hearts and lives of each believer according to the, his call upon that person's life. Now that means that no matter what our calling, no matter what our ministry, 
no matter what our position, God requires us to depend upon his grace. And he will always give us the particular grace we need for the particular ministries to which he calls us. You are not to fulfill a ministry in your own ability. In fact, God has the habit of calling people to ministries for which they have no natural ability so that they will depend entirely upon his grace. Hallelujah. So Paul says, I do not set aside God's grace. I don't put it to one side. He's saying, I live in the grace of God all the time. When he's writing to the Ephesians, he says, in Christ we have been redeemed. With his own blood, he has made it possible for all our sins to be forgiven, and so has purchased us with the price of his blood, so now we belong to him. All this is the result of the immense riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. He has given us wisdom to receive his grace and to understand the wonderful ways in which he has blessed us, not will bless us, has blessed us. All the blessings have been given. All the work has been done on the cross. All the forgiveness, all the righteousness, all the holiness, it's already ours in Christ. There's nothing left for him to do. It's simply for us to have faith in what he has done and to appropriate that through his grace. Hallelujah. So what a God. What a God. He has done this so that in the future we might demonstrate that the riches of his grace are so immense that nothing can be compared to such riches. And this grace has been shown to us because of his kindness towards us, expressed in all Christ Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. He's done it all. The immense riches of his grace are yours. Faith appropriates those riches. You see, the scripture says that God wants you to be great. Not great in yourself, but great in God, because he is so great. We are nothing in ourselves, but great in him. Hallelujah. That's the work of his grace. He lifts up the humble, but he stands against the proud. The proud are those who depend upon themselves. The proud are those who think that it, it's by what they do that God will decide what he does. Instead of understanding that God has decided what he does, irrespective of what we do. Amen? God does not devise a plan around your sin around your failure, around your weakness and inadequacy. He devised his plan for you before ever you were born, let alone saved. And he knows when you divert away from his best purposes, but he does not change his plan. 
He brings you back into his plan, which is dependence upon his grace. Because when you depend upon his grace, then the life of Jesus gets reflected in your life. I think that should be clear by now, yes? So, we all know that in the epistle to Hebrews, it says that we are now able to come close to God's throne of grace with confidence. His throne is not a throne of judgment for us. Because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a throne of grace. So the closer you are to the Lord, the more of his grace abounds in your life. Let me put that the other way around. The more the grace abounds in your life, the closer you are to the Lord. You can look at it either way around. So, whatever God asks of you, he is always ready to supply the grace to do it. Because he would never, ever ask you to do anything that he wants you to do in your own strength. Never. He only ever asks you to do what can only be accomplished through faith in his grace. That's why grace is so essential and so central to our lives as Christians. So we're a blessed people. Understand that the grace of God means that he withholds nothing from you. It's never his desire to withhold anything from you. Because he's already given you all the gifts of his grace. Faith believes that and appropriates those gifts of grace. The only one who ever deprives you is yourself. Either by listening to the enemy or by focusing on yourself and thinking that you haven't come up to scratch, you haven't come up to the standard to be able to receive whatever you need from God in that situation. See, never try to be healed. Just trust in the grace of God. Amen. Nothing much more to say, really, is there? All we've got to do is to put it into practice. His grace abounds to us so that we are able to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. What a Lord! Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.